This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle market trends every week on Wharton Business Radio, Sirius XM Channel 111. Our guest consists of experts like the world's leading authority on long-term economic growth, Bob Gordon. We will continue to see jobs created rather than destroyed. Nick Rusinoff, expert on currency research. That's what you see for those safe haven currencies is hedging the FX risk is actually exposing you to more risk. Or even the head of the Digital India Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome back to Behind the Markets here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Li Chen Ren, Director of Modern Alpha at Wisdom Tree. I'm sitting in today for Jeremy Schwartz. And in this half of the show, my guest is Alfred Mulong Wu who studied and taught in Hong Kong before moving to Singapore, who is the Assistant Dean of Academic Affairs and Associate Professor in the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy at the National University of Singapore. He was a senior journalist in China before he became an academic. His research interests include public sector reforms, central local fiscal relations, corruption and governance. He is the author of the book, Governing Civil Service Pay in China. Uh, hi, Mulan. Welcome to the show. Um, Hong Kong was the economic and um, door of the, you know, window and door for China in the last 40 years. And it seemed that from the last two months, it might become the political window. And, and we don't know whether it will be the door for China in the next 40 years. So um, the chief executive of Hong Kong has uh, tabled the extradition treaty that brought 5 to 10% of Hong Kong population to the street. There's research that shows that if you have more than 4% of population on the street, it is a good indicator of deep dissatisfaction. But that treaty has been tabled, and what are the aims of these smaller-scale protests? What's likely to play out? Uh, I think um, it's very different from uh, 2015 uh, Occupy Central, uh, 2014 Occupy Central. Um, the reason is uh, at this time, I would say that more people uh, participated in the protest. Uh, on I think the first time on night of June. Uh, it was uh, about one million. Then one week later, actually, uh, it was uh, two million. So, in terms of scale, it, it, it's not uh, a very small uh, scale protest. Uh, but w- what's the difference between now and uh, that in 2014 is uh, uh, young people in generally uh, choose to um, have protests in different regions of Hong Kong. But at that time, they only concentrate in in central areas. That's the heart of Hong Kong's economic uh, financial center. So this time, they try to spell it out and also try to attract more attention for the uh, protest. Um, so you were a reporter in mainland China and have lived in Hong Kong for many years. Um, Tell us where to get a balanced view. I saw dramatic difference in reporting about Hong Kong in mainland China and in, in the U.S. Uh, U.S. media is much more about fighting for democracy and police brutality, while in mainland it is uh, more about 
violence against police, middle-class Hong Kongers, fed up with the democratic movement. So where to get the balanced view and where do you think it's going to play out in the next couple of months? I would say that I I, I watch um, Hong Kong's situation uh, closely and also I um, look at the news um, in Hong Kong and mainland China. I would say that uh, it is it's a very much uh, sharp difference in reporting about Hong Kong in mainland China and also in Hong Kong. But I, I'm not quite sure about the U.S. Um, in Hong Kong, in general, people uh, just about talk about this, this bill. Then uh, people ask for some kind of uh, actual um, input from the government. For example, uh, whether the government can organize a so-called independent committee of inquiry into uh, some protests, especially some serious protests, um, for example, on top of June. Because at that time, uh, protesters uh, clash with the uh, police. Then uh, people would think uh, police overuse the force. Then police would think the protester caused the problem. So it's better to have someone uh, chairing an uh, independent committee looking into these issues. So that's the Hong Kongers' demand. I could see some uh, opinion survey, about 70% of people agree with the option. Uh, but in the mainland China, uh, the emphasize uh, is totally different. They, they mostly emphasize about uh, the, the kind of foreign uh, forces behind Hong Kong. For example, they talk about U.S. is behind Hong Kong's uh, protest, or Taiwan is behind of Hong Kong's protest. So in general, I would say that the gap is very, very huge. In a, also. Very important thing is uh, mainland China try to emphasize this is uh, something about independence movement. But if you look into Hong Kong's discourse, actually almost no one talk about independence movement because it's not easy. Hong Kong linked with China um, on many regards because of uh, they rely on, China, on mainland China for water, then also other um, kind of supplies. So in general, I would say that in these two years, almost uh, very few people talk about independence movement in Hong Kong. But uh, in general, if you look into media in mainland China, they talk about two things. One is the independence movement. Second thing, they talk about the uh, foreign forces behind Hong Kong. Uh, it's about the U.S. So I yeah. would say that uh, it's, uh, uh, this kind of scenario will intensify the U.S.-China conflict in the future. Mm-hmm. I think... Uh you know, the independence of Hong Kong from China is, you know, possibility is really low. So it's going mm-hmm. to have to be solved within the system. But the question is, um, do you see these protests, the current um, protests, which is much more widespread, to dial down a little bit? I would say that it really depends on government's uh, action. Uh, so far, I, I could not see any sign of uh, um, chief executive to do something to satisfy uh, people's demands. Uh, because people's demands, uh, um, some of them, I, I would say that uh, are not very much realistic, but some of them are quite realistic. For example, having an independent uh, committee on this issue. I would say that the Hong Kong government has done that before uh, in, in, in different areas. But why not uh, we we do that again. They invite some retired uh, senior, like uh, judge, 
uh, to look into the, uh, the case, especially uh, the, the unfolding uh, scenario. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, uh, especially looking into the uh, latest uh, central government statement, they argue that if you look into uh, this protest, uh, then police kind of work will be under the spotlight. Yeah, then they worry about that uh, whether they have any kind of connection with Beijing will be um, discovered in, in the end. So I would say that the, now the resistance actually come from Beijing. Beijing don't want Hong Kong government to have this kind of committee. So mm-hmm. especially today, Kelly Lang also said that uh, at this moment, uh, we don't want to do that. Okay, remind our listeners, uh, Carrie Lang is the chief executive of Hong Kong. I think I, I agree that, you know, people are demanding an independent committee, but the government is not responding uh, to, the, to that demand. Uh, the other interesting thing, as you know, as a person originally from China, is that actually when you look at how Hong Kong, uh, the government, the way they respond, it's also dramatically different from the U.S. U.S. politicians has much more experience in responding to popular demands, while in Hong Kong, um, you know, when you have more than close to 10 percent of people on the street, yet you are not seeing, you know, the kind of political engagement from from the Hong Kong. So for Hong Kong's government itself is learning how to deal with it. Um, so interestingly, I mean, Hong Kong's economy is very heavily reliant in finance and real estate. It has missed the opportunities of growth in technology in the last 10 years. It has the least political flexibility among the so-called four dragons of growth in East Asia. Do you see continuous economic decline for Hong Kong? I would say that uh, it really depends on how things um, uh, happen in the future. Uh, if you look into the record, in the past 10 years, uh, Hong Kong has done a great job in terms of economic growth. The problem is not about economic growth. Hong Kong relies too much on China. Then, uh, China has a very good economic growth. Hong Kong will have for the same. So if you compare Singapore and Hong Kong, actually in some years, uh, in the past 10 years, I would say that Hong Kong did a much better job than Singapore because of uh, China's economic growth. But the problem is uh, very, uh, very much with um, uh, the kind of income redistribution among, uh, among Hong Kong people. It means that the income inequality is huge in Hong Kong, almost reach uh, Gini coefficient of 0.6. Then another thing is the poverty issue. Uh, if you look at Hong Kong's uh, statistics, you will find that almost 1 million, uh, out of 7 million population uh, are defined as uh, uh, poor people. So basically, uh, they cannot rely on themselves uh, to fight for the future. They need to rely on government assistance. So that's a very much worrying scenario uh, because of uh, Hong Kong can benefit from China's growth through like uh, finance and also uh, real estate and also other things. But uh, in the meantime, uh, Hong Kong are quite angry about government because the government tried to boost economic growth while very much ignoring uh, the development of social policy, which maybe help some poor people uh, live out of poverty. So I think that's a very much um, a big issue for Hong Kong. It's not about economic growth or like uh, uh, other kind of concern. 
Thank you. I'm reminding our listeners that uh, the Gini index of 0.6 is really a measure of very high inequality. I I believe it's um it's either close to China or even higher than China, right? In terms of inequality. Yeah. If you look into China's official statistic, the China is lower than Hong Kong in terms of Gini coefficient. Yeah. Uh, Gini in terms of Gini coefficient, actually, uh, uh, I would say that Hong Kong is uh, the, the worst. Uh, around the world. I yeah, think. I think the U.S. is close to yeah. 0.3, 0.5 or 0.4. It depends yeah, on how you yeah, measure yeah. it. But yeah. I think people um, didn't realize that Hong Kong, even though it is a developed country, it is actually one of the most unequal society. So part of the protest is also, you know, coming from this inequality induced um, when the economy could potentially, you know, um, not boosting everybody's welfare. Um, so let's, you know, think in a little bit, you know, worst, worst case scenario. Um, suppose there is, you know, continuous uh, economic decline. Um, politically, how, it, how it's going to play out in Hong Kong? I would say that the economic decline uh, is very certain. The reason is a uh, U.S.-China trade war. So if you look into latest statistics, you will find that Singapore and Hong Kong suffer a lot, uh, while Taiwan probably benefit a little bit. Uh, that's the kind of uh, global situation, I would say that. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, um, we can talk more on this because I... I, I think uh, you know, with so much going on with central banks, uh, we you know we just talked about. So um, this is Li Chen Ren, and you're listening to Behind the Market on Sirius XM One Thirty Two. My guest of this half hour is Professor Alfred Mulong Wu from the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy at the National University of Singapore. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about Singapore later as well because today happened to be the National Day of Singapore. So happy, yes. happy National Day. Um, hmm. I think um, any chance that China will allow Hong Kong to have direct election before 2047? Uh, reminding our listeners that uh, 2047 is the 50th anniversary of Hong Kong returning from UK to China. In you know, it it got officially returned to China in 1997, back when UK and China were negotiating the handover treaty. The understanding is that China would have become a democratic country by 2047, so no need to think beyond 2047. But now we are in 2019, and 2047 certainly seemed not that far away. And China is nowhere close, you know, to a, a democratic country as people has envisioned, um, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, I would say that uh, that's a, 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 a true concern uh, because of it's not far. Um, but I would say that uh, Deng Xiaoping uh, did not actually think that China will become a democratic country. Uh, Deng Xiaoping's idea is um, uh, in 2047, then China's economic um, development will be very much similar to Hong Kong. So they can enjoy very high quality of life. For example, the income could reach the level of Hong Kong. So that's the reason uh, they, they, they think uh, they don't need to change one country to system because at that time, uh, people will be happy to go to Hong Kong or Hong Kongers also will be happy to uh, go to mainland China. So no need to have the uh, same system 
the so-called one-country system could last for many, many uh, decades. I, I would say that uh, that's uh, uh, Deng Xiaoping's ideology because Deng Xiaoping thinks economic development can solve everything. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's going to show that it uh, up to a point. I think in, you know, when when we are, you know, much poorer, then people don't care as much about the political and the freedom as much about when economic growth reaches a certain level. Uh, the political system becomes, could be become part, part of the barrier of, of further, you know, growth. Um, but suppose in 2047, the economic difference is similar between Hong Kong and China. Do you think in that situation that direct election is more likely in Hong Kong or less likely? Uh, let, let me go back to um, like 90, 1990s. At that time, I would say that uh, Beijing was quite liberal. Then um, when they discussed uh, the basic law with the uh, British, uh, they laid on the and the kind of the claw uh, talking about Hong Kong could have for dialogue election uh, is in, for example, in 2004. But out, uh, out of that, uh, mainland China actually has changed a lot. Uh, they, they gradually moved to so-called regime stability country. So regime stability become a big concern. So they will think uh, if Hong Kong has dialogue election, the other places uh, like the neighboring cities like Shenzhen could probably require for uh, direct election. And also the rest of uh, China could require for direct election. That's the, the, the thing that's uh, worrying Beijing a lot. So Beijing, especially in early 2000, they decided not to um, have that kind of so-called direct election. So it means that uh, uh, Hong Kong, uh, if you have for the right to uh, elect your chief executive, but uh, it must be endorsed by Beijing. So in 2014, why Occupy Central happened? Uh, it was uh, directly related to so-called uh, direct election. Um, Beijing released a report uh, talking about we could not offer your direct election like the United States. Uh, the direct election will look like this if you um, have a number of candidates then the candidate should be screened by Beijing and also uh, some very much uh, established uh, people in Hong Kong. So mm-hmm. in general, people will say that, oh, it's not so-called pure uh, direct sure, election. Okay. You want us to have votes. Then to uh, buy the legitimacy for the people who stand by Beijing and mm-hmm. endorsed by Beijing. So there so will be like some kind of pre-screening uh, you know, not direct, but uh, subconscious uh, pre-screening of, of candidates. Yeah, that's the case. Then, um, more important thing is, uh, Hong Kong government will be much more uh, strong because of uh, it's a it's a very much uh, stronger legitimacy. Um, then Hong Kong government will say that oh, you elect the chief executive, so chief executive can amplify you do everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, these two executives could be picked up by Beijing. I see. So yeah. I think uh, one of the demand of the current democratic uh, um, protests is, you know, possibly direct election, which probably will not be met uh, easily in this environment. Um, yeah, 
according to some uh, latest opinion survey, um, they have five demands. Uh, and number three actually is uh, about uh, the direct election. Mm-hmm. I I think yeah. uh, that is probably the least likely. I think the independent commission is probably the most directly relevant. In particular, yeah, right. you know, Hong Kong's uh, police is under scrutiny right now. Uh, whether it, it has, uh, you know, uh, what kind of relationship uh, Hong Kong's police force has with the central government or with the Hong Kong government. Um, I have a quick question about um, you left Hong Kong recently and became a professor in Singapore. Um, I love Singapore and visited many times as uh, University of Chicago has an executive MBA program there. And I just got news um, that they're moving the MBA program from Singapore to Hong Kong. Well, yeah, at the same time, yeah, 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 and uh, um, yeah. Uh, and then um, you know, I know there are also people and uh, capital movement uh, to Singapore in this environment from Hong Kong. Tell us um, how and whether Singapore is benefiting from Hong Kong situation. Uh, I would say that um, they actually both um, are quite. Um, good friends or rivals in the past. Um, but the market is quite different. I would say uh, Hong Kong served uh, mainland China, then um, Singapore served the rest of Asia. So even, um, for example, even uh, Hong Kong uh, got into difficulty, for example, Hong Kong could not be a financial center I would say that the, uh, the market will not actually necessarily uh, move to Singapore because of all the distance. So somewhere, probably like uh, like Tokyo or other uh, places could benefit from that. Uh, it, it may not be Singapore. Mm-hmm. So um, is Singapore, so you mentioned that, you know, if you want to do business with China, you still need to be in Hong Kong. Because uh, it's in, in some in some places near China. In some places near China, but if you want to care about the Asian business, not necessary on uh you know China, then you could be much closer in in Singapore because it offers similar environment, the legal protections. Yes, true. So many of the um, bigger companies already have the headquarters in Singapore. Um, independent of Hong Kong, is Singapore's political setup uh, flexible enough to put it in a long-term growth environment from your point of view? I would say that because Singapore is an independent country, so they can make their own uh, policy. So I would say that uh, especially in terms of lease um, aspect, uh, Singapore is better than Hong Kong. Okay. Um, yeah. So do you see significant... Um, from Hong Kong is going to have elections soon. Just quick, uh, is it going to be able to capture majority for the democratic uh, movement in, in in the legislature? I would say that this is an important factor for for many um, players to think about it because of the election is coming late now um, pro-democracy um, movement is ongoing. So it means that the pro-democracy uh, lawmaker probably can receive more votes. So in the future, uh, then the government will get the less support, especially in law- lawmakers' house. So how government can actually 
move forward with the policy like uh, alternatives or other kind of policy um, solution. I'm not quite sure. At this stage, it looks like uh, very much uh, uh, a tricky issue uh, because of uh, the current government also is really um, worried about the scenario. If like uh, many law, uh, pro-democracy lawmakers uh, receive more votes in the near future, then the the situation will become tougher in the future. Mm-hmm. So uh, yes, um, so it will be something we'll pay attention to in the coming months because Hong Kong's uh, uh, legislature is directly elected. Um, and it's going to sh- uh, give us some indication of uh, how it's going to play out. Professor, um, with, thank you so much for joining me on the program today. Uh, with so much going on uh, in the world, um, I see my own kids playing uh, with their own cycle of life and uh, your kids enjoying a day off um, today. Um, happened. If, if, <laughs> if I can, I can add a, a, few, um, a few points sure. to your life. Yeah, especially talking about... Um, the, the communication uh, between the government and also people in Hong Kong. I would say that uh, if you look into U.S. or like uh, Singapore, uh, many of the political leaders know how to use uh, Facebook and also Twitter to try to communicate with people. Uh, but if you look into Hong Kong, Hong Kong will use Facebook a lot, but the uh, chief executive um, does not know how to use Facebook. Interesting. That's very similar. Yeah, that's very similar to yeah. China, mainland China. So, so mainland China, Chinese leaders also does not want to communicate with people um, through uh, social media. Yeah, that's interesting because the People's yeah. Bank of China just opened up a WeChat account. They are trying to communicate uh, with uh, with people through uh, social media. So Hong Kong, even though it's a developed country, is actually very much behind politically and uh, in terms of how how their uh, government uh, uh, you know responds to the people's demand. So I'd like to thank you and also like to thank my producer Paddy Ho and my sound engineer Martin. <music> Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about Wisdom Tree, visit wisdomtree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.